Psalm 119, of course, is primarily about the Bible. It's about the scriptures of truth. I remember Dr. S.B. Cook, <coughs> who was our professor of homiletics, trying to teach us how to preach many years ago in the Whitfield College of the Bible, telling us, when your heart grows cold and that flame goes out in your soul concerning the word of God, read through and pray through Psalm 119. And that was good counsel. It was good counsel not only for ministerial students, but it was good counsel for all believers. Great men of God in previous generations laid great stress on the Psalms that we do not lay on them today, and especially this Psalm 119. And it was the means whereby God rekindled again the fire in their souls as they meditated upon it and prayed over it. Philip Henry, who was the father of Matthew Henry, the, the famous biblical commentator so often quoted from this pulpit, he advised his children to take a verse of Psalm 119 every morning to meditate upon it and to go through the psalm twice in a year. And he assured them in so doing it would be like a tonic for their soul which would enable them to love more and more not only Psalm 119 but the rest of God's holy word. It's known as an alphabetical psalm as it has 22 sections which are arranged according to the Hebrew alphabet and its 22 letters. It's also an acrostic psalm in that uh, the eight verses in the first section, for example, it commence with Aleph, the first, section, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the eight verses of the second section in the Hebrew commence with Beth, which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on and so forth right throughout uh, the all of the psalm. The founding principle of our Whitfield College of the Bible was Dr. John Douglas. Uh, he has written an excellent commentary on Psalm 119, and I would commend it to your meditation. I was very encouraged to learn that the young people, the students in Kakamega, they do a book review, and they study a book every month, and they took months in the little Bible shop in Kakamega to study through Dr. John Douglas's commentary on Psalm 119. And they devoured it, and they were blessed and encouraged through it. So as you might expect, it has been of great use to me personally in the preparation of the Word of God today. We take you to the second section on verse 11. And this verse has been especially on my mind in the past weeks, as I have tried to encourage you to memorize the Word of God. Memorization of God's Word, I think, is a vital part of our sanctification. And sadly, sadly, it lapses in our life from time to time. And sometimes we, we go at it, and other times we forget all about it, and then we wonder why we struggle. So we started off this year in the week of prayer that we had up in the upper room, uh, challenging those who came to the week of prayer to memorize by the end of February, Psalm 130. I don't know where you are in your memorization of Psalm 130, but if you've been following through, you should be approximately at verse 4 or verse 5 by now of Psalm 130. And see, can you get to the end of it by the end of February? And then we're going to, we're going to say it together. But our text assures us that there's a special reason 
for hiding God's word in the heart. The Hebrew word Beth means house. And with all of those lovely usages of it right throughout the scriptures of truth. The second section of Psalm 119 gives to us the picture of the house. Because the letters of the Hebrew alphabet of course they are pictorial. And the house was of course in contrast to the tent. And it signified the permanent dwelling place of the people of God. And it's the privilege of every believer to dwell in the house of fellowship with God. In the tabernacle, God's ancient people, they were instructed how to enter into God's ancient dwelling place. And they were taught through the tabernacle worship that the way into his presence was through sacrificial blood. And so the worshipper came with the animal, the animal that had to be offered and sacrificed to Almighty God and the blood that had to be shed. And the high priest would take the blood and he would go in and he would sprinkle the mercy seat and there he would meet with God. And the way into God's presence, men and women, is still through atoning blood. And the way into the house of fellowship with God is through faith in that atoning blood. Not of the blood of bulls and goats and calves which were laid on Jewish altars in days gone by, but in the blood of the Lamb of God, slain on Calvary's cross and shed for the remission of sins. The young man whom we're introduced to in verse 9, I don't know whether he's a literal person or not, but uh, here's a young man and he desires cleansing. He desires cleansing from the contagion of sin. And he had to take heed of the way of entry. There is no way of entry into that house of fellowship but through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way thereafter the sinner could dwell in God's presence was by cleansing. And I think that's a lesson that ought not to be lost on any of us today. You cannot dwell in fellowship with God unless and until your sins have been cleansed in Jesus' blood. And those who desire cleansing must not only get their sins under the blood. We know how we use that phraseology so often. We have our sins under the blood. But also we have to take heed to God's book. So it's not just that our sins must be under the blood. But our lives must be continually cleansed. Through the, watering of the, through the water of the washing of the word of God. So the blood and God's book are intrinsically linked in this process of cleansing. And there's only one way in which you and I can avoid backsliding. And that is to take heed to the word of God. And to take heed to the scriptures of truth. The key to entering into this house of fellowship. Not wandering away from it. And that's the sad reality. Because there are many over the years who have wandered away from it and they've used this excuse and that excuse. But they've wandered away from instructions, warning voice. They've let go of instruction, that cord of instruction. And once you let go of that, rather than you sailing high, you'll fall to the ground. Just as in our children's talk today. Don't let go of instruction. And it requires the believer to hide God's word like a priceless treasure. 
within their heart in a safe and secure place. So today we're just going to stop at this wonderful verse, verse 11. So often used as a memory verse in children's meetings and Sunday school and years gone by. <clears throat> but I'd like to stop with you at it here today. And I want to show you today how you take this priceless treasure and you hide it in your heart. And when you hide it in your heart, it's the antidote of sinning against Almighty God. So first of all, let's consider with you, where is the safest place in which to hide the word of God? If it is hid, as has been said by these great commentators, if it is only hid in your home, placed in your home, it'll gather dust. It'll gather dust. There are many Bibles in the homes of Anna Long and they're never opened and they're just gathering dust. And if it's just gathering dust in your home, it's of absolute no use or value to you. If it's just in your home, it could be stolen, it could be lost, it could be burnt down. There's all types of variables that could be put in there. So just don't keep the Bible in your home. If it's only carried in your hand to church, you might forget it one day. It is amazing to me in the summertime the number of people who leave their Bibles that they've carried in with their hands in the meeting house here in Analog. And they never come back for it. Isn't that amazing? Over all the years I've been here, there have been absolutely dozens of Bibles that have been left in those pews. And I could put in, I could put in less than one hand. The number of times somebody phoned me up and said, Mr. Harris is my Bible in the church. Would you keep it for me? They brought it in their hand and they dropped it and they never come back to get it. If it's only kept in your head, if your head's anything like my head, well then you're up, you're up to forget it. You're up to forget it. The safest place to keep the word of God, men and women, is in your heart. The centre of the affections of the life. If it's in the heart, it shapes, it sanctifies the life, and it's the most safe and secure place where you can put the word of God. And I want you to think of this book today as a treasure, because that's how it's described in the Bible itself. This is God's priceless treasure for you and me, and the safest place for you to have it, it's in here. It's in your heart. It's in your life. Mr. Spurgeon said of this supposed young man in Psalm 119, his heart would be kept by the word because he kept the word in his heart. His heart would be kept by the word because he kept the word in his heart. It had been his desire in verse 10, let me not wander from thy commandments. There are many who start out with that desire and that aspiration. Every backslider, I'll guarantee you, never intended to go where they eventually arrived or ended up. Why? Because they didn't keep the word of God in their heart. The place for the word is in the heart, in the life. Great men of God have been distinguished by being men who kept the word in their hearts. Not just in their homes, not just on their shelves, not just in their hands, but in their hearts. Those words of Jeremiah fifteen sixteen say, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, 
for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. This word that was burning into the very soul of the prophet Jeremiah, this word of warning and condemnation upon the inhabitants of Judah, Jeremiah said they were the rejoicing of his heart. He carried them about in his heart and in his life. We read of Ezekiel, these great prophets, who prophesied uh, to those that were in exile. He said, Moreover, he said unto me, Ezekiel 3, 1 to 3, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this rule and go speak unto the children of Israel. You'll never speak unto anybody about anything unless it's in your heart. And we, have, we, we stand indicted before Almighty God. Oftentimes we're silent because the word is not in our heart. We have nothing to say because the word is not in our heart. But this man, the word was in him, okay. And so he said, I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll, the scriptures. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy boils with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Not wonderful. The scriptures of truth that Ezekiel was called to take to those in exile. Uh, God said to him, eat them, eat them as it were, metaphorically speaking, and put them into your soul and then take them to the people. And that's what the watchman in Zion has to do. He himself has to take those words. And he has to then take those words. And he has to bring them to the people. In Colossians 3.16, the New Testament counterpart to all of that. uh, Paul said to the believers at Colossae, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let it dwell in you. Not round about you, but let it dwell in you. The word of God dwelling in us, living in us. That's what it means. The word of God living in me. That's that's the very zenith, the very height of sanctification. The word of God living in our souls, living in our lives. And when it does, this is what happens. Teaching and admonishing one another. When I have the word of God in my heart, you have the word of God in your heart and we meet together. When we're meeting together, we're not meeting to discuss uh, the world and its business. I'm not saying that in itself is wrong. I'm not saying that. But if that's all we're meeting to do, it's a pretty empty gathering. But when we meet because we've got the word of God in our souls, we're teaching and we're admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now as this word is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And it teaches us principally what man is to believe concerning God. What duty God requires of man. Then we need to understand it. You need to get to the place where you understand it. Now there are hard things to comprehend in this book. And after many years on the Christian pilgrimage, I still don't understand them fully. And as we sang that wonderful words of Kuiper, I'll never understand it fully until I see him face to face in glory. And then I'll have full knowledge. But there's enough for me to know along the way. I think of that incident, I've often referred you to it, if you just go there for a little moment, in the book of Acts. 
Philip is in the backside of the desert. God put him there. God sent him there. In Acts chapter 8 verse 29 we read. Then the spirit said unto Philip go near and join thyself to this chariot. The word of God was in his heart. He was communing with the spirit of God. God was leading him and guiding. Have you ever been like that? You've been somewhere and God said you go and speak to that individual. Go and speak to that man, that woman about the Lord. And we read Philip ran thither to him. And he was guided just to the right person, this great Ethiopian uh, eunuch, this great statesman. And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? The man was reading, but he didn't understand. So God sent him somebody to help him understand. <clears throat> and he said, How can I except some man should guide me? Oh, that the Lord would just lead us this week <clears throat> to someone and they've been reading, but they don't understand, and God would send you or me to help them understand the way of God's salvation. And he desired Philip that he'd come up and sit with him. Here was a soul that was prepared. The place of scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his Humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? What an opening uh, Philip had. And we read that Philip took the same scripture from Isaiah in verse 35 and preached unto him Jesus. Do you understand about Jesus? The one who was slain on Calvary's cross for the remission of sins. The one who paid the great sacrifice so that you might be saved. It all starts off here, brethren and sisters. Our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding Christ and his saving work. Do you understand it today? Have you taken it in? Not only have you to understand it, but you have to believe it. Understanding and believing. Because in Hebrews 4 and 2 it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Some of you, some people in all along, have sat and listened me preach for 17 years. And the word has not profited them unto the saving of their souls. Why? Because it's not been mixed with faith. They haven't believed it. Not only, to, not only have you to believe it, you have to receive it. In Romans 10 and 8 we read those lovely words. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Eh, that is the word of faith which we preach. You have to receive it. That morsel that's in your mouth, you have to take it, you have to, as it were, to swallow it. You have to receive it into your very soul, into your very life. And if you're with us today and you've never understood who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and if you've never believed it and you've never received it, then we cannot say of you, as it's said of the Word, that the Word is in your heart. And if the Word is in your heart, the Bible tells us something special about you. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3. That you will be 
declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. Your life and my life, dear brethren and sisters, should be so saturated with the word of God, so enlivened by the spirit of God, it's as if we're open Bibles. We're open Bibles that others say something of the wonder of the Lord Jesus in what we say and in what we do. Now, as people have looked your life and my life this week, have they read Jesus? Do they see Jesus? Because if they haven't, the word is not there as it ought to be. Consider with me. Secondly, thereafter, how is God's word kept in the heart? Let me just list some of these things quickly for you. Well, privately, you need to read the word of God. And you need to get an appropriate reading scheme for yourself. I used to recommend McShane's readings for chapters every day. I I don't know whether that's for you or not. Sometimes that's too much for people. You can divide that into two instead of reading the Old Testament, the Psalms and the New Testament twice. If you take it over two years, you'll read through all of the Bible in two years. Just divide the two uh, columns Take two in the morning, two in the evening. There are so many other good reading schemes there for you to find and for you to use. And sometimes we get caught up in the scheme and we don't even do it. The point is, do it. Whatever way you do it, do it. Make sure you privately read the scriptures. Meditate upon the portion or the passage that you've read. Five times over in Psalm 119, the writer speaks of meditating upon the law of God. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts. This re-echoes the godly man of Psalm 1. And verse 2, we read there, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word meditate, what does that mean? Well, the word meditate means to stop and to ponder, and to think, and to study upon what you've read. If you have a good margin Bible uh, today, it's so easy to do it all, because you'll find all the the cross-references in your margin that are in the verse that you're looking at. Go to the references, the cross-references, and look them up. Meditate upon what the Scriptures is really saying to you. I'll guarantee you, nearly every verse in our authorised version, if you have a, a Cambridge, Oxford Bible, a TBS Bible, uh, with the heavy text in it, it will give you the cross-references. Meditate upon them. Read over them. And, of course, the greater your responsibility, the more you need to meditate. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you need to meditate upon what you're teaching the children. If you're an elder, you need to meditate upon the passages that you're going to use in speaking to people about their soul or in overseeing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to meditate. Joshua 1, 7 and 8, we read of Joshua. He's about to lead the hundreds of thousands of Israel into the land of promise. He's battles and battles ahead of him. There's bloodshedding, there's war, there's death. There's strategies that he has to work out. And what does God tell him to do, first of all? Meditate upon the word. Before he goes to the work, meditate upon the word. Is there good counsel there for us? I think there is. It tells us in Joshua 1 and 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous, 
that thou mayest observe to do according to all that the law which Moses my servant commanded thee turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And this book of the law, that was the law that God had given to Moses. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Keep studying it. Keep reading it. Keep meditating upon it. Keep striving to get an understanding of it. As we read down Psalm 119, we learn also that we need to pray those scriptures into our souls. Pray over the scriptures that you've read. Pray them into your soul. How do you do that? Well, nine times we find the psalmist in Psalm 119, and he's praying for God to be his teacher, for God to teach him. We read in verse 12, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. It's wonderful to have elders to teach. A teaching elder to minister the word of God week by week. Someone to teach you as Philip got up on the, on the chariot and showed the Ethiopian eunuch who this man was that was prophesied of in Isaiah and he led him to Jesus. It's wonderful when God blesses you with fellow Christians like that that, are enable, that enable you to see something that you didn't see before. It's wonderful to go to class at school, to go to college, to go to the lecture and have the teacher or the lecturer at the front and he's showing you things that you've never seen before or heard before. We all appreciate our teachers, but there's no teacher like the Almighty. Teach me. Spirit of God, my teacher be. Teach me. We'll not go down all the references. That would be a good exercise for you to do. Uh, trace them up in your concordance. All those references uh, for the psalmist praying for the Lord to teach him. And as the Lord taught him, he was, he was praying the word of God into his soul. He was being taught. I think it's good also when, to put the word of God into your soul to listen to biblical preaching. If you only listen to me, Yes, I hope you get biblical preaching. I strive to make it as biblical as I possibly can. But that's only two sermons on a Sunday, one sermon during the week. We have access today to sermons that our forefathers could never have had before through the internet. When you're traveling, download one of those sermons and play it on your Bluetooth over the car and listen to it, listen into it, listen to the preaching. And the teaching of the word of God. Now I would caution you. Uh, be, be cautious who you listen to. Listen to biblical preaching. Listen to biblical preaching. Men who know how to preach the word of God. And put the word of God. We'll come back to where we started. Put the word of God into your soul by memorizing it. By memorizing it. And this is a challenge to us all. And one in which we all, I think, have to stand up and say, we've failed. We've failed here. And we need to get back to memorizing the scriptures. And to do that, it requires holy resolve and personal determination. Chris Killen gave me a wonderful daily devotional book by Paul Chappell, in which he stresses that effective Christians memorize the scriptures. And at the start of it, he gives the following principles for effective scripture memorization. <clears throat> I'm just going to list them to you. 
Choose a specific time and quiet place. You'll never memorize the, the scriptures rushing to get the children out to school in the morning. No, it doesn't work like that. Or listening to the news on the TV at night. It doesn't work like that. You need to find a quiet place and you need to schedule a time in which you're going to do it. And you need to free yourself from the clutter of the day. Organize what you memorize. Organize what you memorize. So it's good we have Psalm 130. Let's project that. By the end of February. Some of you might already have covered it. By the end of February. Let's finish it. And then we can collectively go on to various topics. Various subjects. Work out loud. The mind memorizes better and faster that which it audibly hears. So talk, talk to yourself. Do it out loud. Walk while you memorize. Why is that? Well, the body uh, has a natural rhythm. And when you're walking, you have a natural rhythm. You mightn't think so, but you do. And when you're memorizing the words, saying the words out loud, walking up and down, wherever it is, <clears throat> your body, your mind are all connecting together. And then importantly, review, review, review. Go back over what you have memorized. Repetition. Repetition is the key to learning. And of course that includes the catechism. We all can say we've learned certain sections out of the catechism. But it's lost. Why? Because we didn't review it. We didn't review it. We didn't review it. And set goals of time rather than verses. So instead of saying this week I'm going to learn four verses... Say instead, this week I'm going to set aside at least 10 minutes every day to memorize the scriptures. It's not a lot, is it? 10 minutes out of your day. 15 minutes out of your day just to memorize the scriptures. And then see what you can do in that time uh, limit rather than trying to put on realistic targets of what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. So let's close out today. Thirdly, uh, by considering with you why the psalmist wanted to hide the word of God in his heart. That I might not sin against thee. How, how do I stop sinning? Isn't that the great battle? How do I stop sinning? Even though I'm a forgiven sinner, how do I stop sinning? I have the word of God in my heart. That I might not sin against thee. When the word is in the heart, it is a preventative against sinning. Remember how, the, how Satan came to the Lord Jesus in Matthew 4? He came from his baptism. Heaven was opened. The Spirit descended. Such a scene of blessing. And he was led, it tells us, of the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he faced the assaults of Satan. And Satan came to him. And how did the Son of God overcome Satan by the scriptures for he said it is written every time it is written he didn't argue he didn't enter into a dialogue he just answered with the scriptures it is written Spurgeon said if this God's word is the best preventative against offending God for it tells us his mind and will and tends to bring our spirit into conformity with the divine spirit. There is no hiding from sin. Brethren and sisters. Unless we hide. The scriptures in our souls. When the word is in the heart. All of the promises. That are in this book. 
encourage us and help us to press on with God. We took that as our motto text a few weeks ago, Philippians 3.14. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we need every encouragement that's in the book of God to keep pressing onward because there's every discouragement to stop us today. We read about those promises. That all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. We read about Abraham and his seed. To Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. That's you and me. We're the spiritual seed of Abraham and the promises are made to us. We read in Second Peter 1 and 4 whereby are given unto us are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. These exceeding great and precious promises. Every promise in the book is mine. All mine. And we complete those promises. We can pray the promises back to God. God put the promise in our heart. We pray it back to God. God, you said you'd never leave me. Here I am, lonely and all on my own, in trouble and in difficulty. But you said it. I believe it. That's the promise we're praying back to him. We're thinking in our own home this week of God's promises to Jacob. He set out on that great journey. Genesis 28, 15. What did God said to him? Behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I'll not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I'll not leave thee until all my word is fulfilled in you. Not wonderful. That's what God has said to you and I on the pilgrimage to glory. I'm not going to leave you. This is the promise. This is the encouragement. This is what we bring back to God and pray back to God. I'll not leave you. Isn't it good? He's still the God of Bethel. This is mirrored in, in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation, your conduct, your life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In the light of that, verse 6, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. He told Jacob, I'll, I'll not leave you. He tells us in the New Testament, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. This word of God in the heart, it just helps us to persevere. It just helps us to keep going on. We'll go back to the children and the kite and letting go of the string. If you let go of instruction, dear brethren and sisters, you'll not go too very far. You'll fall and collapse. In Psalm 37, 31, it says, The law of God is in his heart. That's the, the good man. None of his steps shall slide. When the law of God is in your heart, your steps will not slide. You'll definitely not backslide. You'll have a sure, you'll have a sure footing. One of the commentators summarizing, he put it like this. The best thing, God's word, hidden in the best place in our hearts for the best of purposes, that we might not sin against God. May that be your experience, may it be my experience. 
May Almighty God continue to teach us what it is to walk in his ways. Keep his statutes from the heart. Thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee.